You're listening to the Tree of Life podcast, where we desire to be a bridge between the two covenantal peoples, physical Israel and spiritual Israel, by inspiring the non-Jewish part of Messiah's body to reconnect with its Jewish roots through biblical teaching and worshipful demonstrations, and to work towards greater understanding and reconciliation between Messiah's body and traditional Judaism. And now, here's Rabbi Joel Lieberman. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is upon us once again this year. At the beginning of these days of awe, ten days ago, we came together to be faithful to the scriptures in Leviticus chapter 23 that called us to a holy convocation for Yom Teruah, the Day of the Awakening Blast. It was a powerful time here, and as we have moved forward as a community and as individuals in our time of repentance and introspection, it has all been leading to Yom Kippur. In synagogues throughout the world for the 40 days leading up to this day, our Jewish people have heard the blowing of the shofar, calling them to wake up. Are we serving Adonai? Are we living for Him? Are we being the people God has called us to be as light of the world and the salt of the earth? I want to welcome all of you here this morning, those watching via the interweb and or listening wherever you get your podcast. Some of us come to a service like this with a lot of understanding. Some of us come with less. Some of us come because of tradition, some called by a feeling, pulled by a feeling deep inside. Maybe they don't fully understand. But I pray that all of us have come here this morning with our hearts open wide, prepared to fulfill the innermost desires that Adonai and His Messiah, Yeshua, have for us. To turn away from our sins, receive His mercy, our atonement and to prepare ourselves for what lies ahead. On Yom Kippur, it could be said that we stand before Adonai naked. He's offering us a covering, and it's ours to either accept or reject. So here's my challenge today. As we reread the biblical history today, let us approach the words of the scriptures with an open heart and a willingness to consider that Yom Kippur should become much more to us than an obligation. It might even, it might even become your favorite biblical festival. Why? Because our Jewish people logically have interpreted that the Messiah might appear at Yom Kippur. After all, this holy day is a culmination of our national and personal repentance. Add to that tonight with the sounding of the last shofar to close Yom Kippur could be the indication to signal the coming of Mashiach. The prophet writes, Im yehiyu, achata eshem kashanim kasheleg yel binu. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I'm testing the Lord today that this scarlet tie is going to turn white by the end of the service. It's a theme for Yom Kippur. This is the most important day on the biblical calendar. Beginning last night and all day today until sunset, most of our Jewish people are in the synagogues praying for atonement for sins. But as a Messianic Jewish congregation, a part of the Messianic Jewish revival movement, we're in our congregations and we're in our synagogues today for a little different reason. We know for certain that we have our atonement. And not just for one year, but forever. Hallelujah. Man, that's good news. <laughs> so Yom Kippur is a complete Sabbath. 
The Bible says, Leviticus 23, and I hope you brought your Bible or your phone where you have your Bible on because we're going to go through a lot of scriptures today. But Leviticus 23, 23 says this, And Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, On the tenth day of this seventh month is a Yom HaKippurim, a day of the atonements. Have a Mikra Kodesh, have a holy convocation. Anna Nefesh, deny yourselves and bring a fire offering to Adonai. On this same day, do no work, for it is a Yom HaKippurim to make atonement for you before Adonai your God. For any nefesh, any soul who does not deny himself on this same day will be cut off from his people. And any soul, nefesh, who does any work on this same day, I will destroy that soul from the midst of his people. Do no work, that is an age-enduring statue to your generations and all your dwellings. It is to be a Shabbat Shabbaton, a stop in time for a complete rest to you. You are to Ananefesh, deny yourselves from the ninth of the month at evening last night, from evening until evening on the tenth of the seventh month, you are to keep your Shabbat. Notice the strong language in the scriptures concerning working on this day. We're traditionally supposed to refrain from eating and drinking. This is except children under barmbat mitzvah age. If you're sick or you're pregnant, it's all rabbinic, by the way. But we are to, what the Bible says, afflict or to deny or humble our souls. Based on the word ana in the Hebrew. And it's used in Isaiah when speaking of fasting. Let's go to that Isaiah passage quickly. Isaiah 58. And beginning in verse 3, the prophet writes, Why have we fasted, and yet you, Lord, do not see? Why have we afflicted our souls, yet you take no notice? Behold, the Lord says, In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Behold, you fast for strife and contention and to strike with a wicked fist. You should not fast as you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is this the fast I have chosen? A day for one to afflict his soul. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spreading out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to Adonai? Is not this the fast that I choose? Here it is. To release the bonds of wickedness. To untie the cords of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to tear off every yoke. Likewise, the prophet Zechariah says similarly in chapter 7. Verse 5, speak to the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh months for the past 70 years, did you really fast for me? When you eat and drink, are you not eating and drinking for yourself? So I want to suggest to us, as I do every year, that if you and I are just going through religious motions today, or worse, while we fast today. We should just end our fasting right now because it's a waste of time according to what the Lord says here. In fact, as we traditionally at this time throughout the world wish one another a tzomkal, tzomkal, easy fast. No, it should not be an easy fast. As we're going to see. In the past, I've had people come up to me and say, well, Rabbi, that's the Old Testament. Surely you cannot prove from the New Testament that as followers of Yeshua, that we should be fasting during this day. Really? Well, let's prove it. Acts 27. For we find that Yom Kippur is specifically mentioned in the New Covenant Scriptures. In an interesting little vignette, we might not have considered pertinent. It shows up in the book of Acts, chapter 27. Paul, Rabbi Shaul, is traveling from Caesarea, Caesarea in the summertime. He has plans to go to Rome in the beginning of the fall, but his ship gets into bad weather. 
near the southern shore of Crete. And we see in Acts 27 these words in verse 8. Coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Since considerable time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous because the fast had already gone by, Paul kept warning them, telling the men, I can see that the voyage is about to end in disaster and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion was persuaded more by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was said by Paul. Paul here is sailing on an Alexandrian ship. He's in the Mediterranean Sea. The sailing is now dangerous because the fast was already over and the winter was coming. The fast takes place at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Why would Luke here mention that the fast was already over and winter was coming? I believe a possible answer is because Luke and Paul did indeed fast. And so by mentioning Yom Kippur, it shows evidence that Shaul continued observing Jewish practices and Torah for the rest of his life. And it, I believe it also lends credence to the contention that Luke himself was Jewish or a proselyte to Judaism. He would otherwise be unlikely to measure time for his Gentile reader by the Jewish calendar. And Luke may have also presumed that every one of his Jewish readers would know immediately the fast that comes right before the winter at Yom Kippur. Isn't that interesting? The Talmud specifies additional Yom Kippur restrictions that are less well known. Washing and bathing, anointing your body with cosmetics and deodorant, restrictions, rabbinic restrictions, wearing leather shoes, engaging in sexual relations. It's traditional as we see out here today to wear white, symbolizing purity and calling to mind Isaiah 1 verse 18. And so at the beginning of these days of awe, 10 days ago, we celebrated again Yom Teruah, which was like a rehearsal for the final judgment. The book of Daniel describes the final judgment with the Ancient of Days, Adonai himself taking his seat on the throne of judgment, saying 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. You see, on Yom Teruah, 10 days ago, it's traditionally understood that we are diagnosed as sinners. And like a terminally sick person, we have only 10 days to live, so to speak. Thus, we need something to help us, to help our cause. And on Yom Kippur, the gavel of judgment falls. This is the rabbinic understanding. This is what you'll get in the traditional synagogues today. Traditionally, one of the aspects of Yom Kippur is the concept that Adonai has books that he writes our names in, writing down who will live and who will die, who will have a good life, who will have a bad life for the year to come. Jewish tradition explains that the heavenly court of judgment keeps these three books. In the book of life are recorded the names of the righteous. The book of death is recorded the names of the wicked. And the book of the intermediate is recorded the names of the not so good and not so bad, which is most of us. And according to our tradition, the day of Yom Teruah was a small annual day of judgment on which the heavenly court was convened and these three books were opened. The court reviewed the cases of those recorded in the book of the intermediate. And each person's name is then removed from that book and written into the one of the other two books. Ten days later, at the conclusion of Yom Kippur, tonight, everyone's name is sealed either in the book of life or the book of death. According to the rabbis of the late first century CE or AD, the actions that can change the decree during these ten days are what? Teshuvah. Tefillah, tzedakah, repentance, prayer, and good deeds or charity. Since the temple's been destroyed, 
the priesthood has been suspended and the sacrifices have ceased. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, father of modern-day rabbinic Judaism, taught this, quote, We have a means of atonement left that is as effectual as the temple, namely loving-kindness. That is now our sin offering. But upon his deathbed, according to the Talmud, again, ben Zakkai was greatly troubled and confused about his own right standing with God. My friends... If the creator of modern-day rabbinic Judaism had no assurance of his own salvation, why should any Jew searching for God today follow rabbinic teachings as holy writ? A thousand years later, Maimonides wrote, quote, Now in our days when the house of the sanctuary exists no longer and we have no atoning altar, repentance atones for all transgressions. My friends, it's important to recognize today that this alteration that took place post-temple was never, ever, ever authorized in the Tanakh. We don't find anywhere in the scriptures where Adonai changed the concept of the exchange of life for a life in terms of attaining atonement. And we're going to speak more about that a little bit later. Did God ever say that this was to be turned into an atonement of repentance and prayers and charity and good deeds only? And this so-called transfer anyway from the book of the intermediate to the book of life is rabbinically in the synagogues today just for only one more year of life. Certainly not for eternal life. Sad. It's sad really. The rabbinic system guarantees nothing, and it delivers fantasies to those who might be heartbroken, truly heartbroken. There are thousands of Jewish people in San Diego today that are heartbroken over their sins, but simply are following the rabbis without studying the scriptures on their own. This is a myth of a nasty sort, my friends, and it projects a false hope to our people which is truly no hope for our people. It does not meet the spiritual criteria and qualifications. Should we dance on Yom Kippur? Well, since the restoration of the Messianic movement, we often take our cues from the traditional Jewish world that dance is not appropriate on Yom Kippur. For isn't God calling us, they say, to just set aside one day to reflect and afflict our souls, to continue in heart before a holy God, to be contrite in heart? But since we have scheduled music on Yom Kippur, why not allow dance? If we're leaving dance out because we're worried about offending, shouldn't we take out worship music as well to be consistent? We realize that within a holy setting, dance is a form of worship. It is a form of praise, and it can also be a form, I hope you understand this, of serious spiritual warfare. Dance can be joyful. Dance can be quite somber as well. And dance can be full of repentance. Did you know that there is paradoxically a stream of Jewish thought, though, that develops the theme of Yom Kippur being a day of joy and dancing? There are some materials you'll find in the Sonsina Chumash in the Orthodox, which make it clear that Yom Kippur in ancient days involved dancing and rejoicing. Just a quick quote from those documents. Lamentations Rabbah 33 says, It is quite right that the Day of Atonement should be an occasion for dancing, since it was a day of forgiveness and expiation for Israel, and the day upon which the second tablets of the law were given. How many of us dread Yom Kippur? Thousands of our people here in San Diego dreading Yom Kippur. Why? Because it feels so dreary. It feels so solemn. It seems like they're going to a funeral more than a biblical festival of our God. And because of the fasting element in traditional synagogues, it seems like everyone is so miserable. 
The prophet tells us in Zechariah 8, 19, it speaks about the fast of the seventh month, which we are in, which is Yom Kippur. It shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and a cheerful feast. That sounds to me like the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so as a Messianic Jewish community, I believe it is incumbent upon us to make our own decisions on how to express that transforming power of atonement through Yeshua in an intelligent manner. It is my prayer that along with the characteristically solemn moments in our service this morning, that we will as well experience the sense of joy that we have here in Yeshua's atonement as we continue through our worship, as we continue through the liturgy, as we continue through the teaching this morning. If you would stand with me today as we open up the Ark of the Lord. And let's open the Ark with these words this morning. Vayehi bin Soaharon Vayomer Moshe Kuma Adonai Ve'afutsu ho'hi ve'echa Ve'hanusu misanecha Mipanecha Ki mitzion teitzeh Torah Ki mitzion Tetsehe Torah Udevar Adonai Me Yerushalayim Baruch Shenatan Torah Baruch Shenatan Torah, Torah, Le'amo Yisrael, Bihikdusha Torah. And as our worship team leads us in the Shema today, let us remain standing and sing along from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4 and forward. Shema Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom, which is forever and ever. It goes on to say in the scriptures, and you can see the translation on the screen today. I'm so grateful to be here this morning as I looked on the calendar. We haven't done a morning Yom Kippur service for many, many years, but listen, it beats our sister congregation in Fort Lauderdale who had to shut down yesterday for a COVID just going through their synagogue, and they had to shut down today, and so we're grateful to be here. I want to thank each one of you for taking the time to come and be here because I believe the Lord wants to bless you today in a really special way. Remain standing as we 
recite the Amidah. While the Shema is the anthem of our people, which we've just recited, the Amidah literally means standing. It's the culmination of our prayer service. It is known as the Shemona Esrei, the 18, because of the 18 benedictions or 18 sections, which we're not going to go through, of course, all of them originally contained within this prayer. But we will begin with a few passages from it, the Avot, or the Father's passage, the Givorot, the Wonders section, and the Kedushah section, or the Holiness section. Avot, the Father's section, praises God for the examples of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Givorot section speaks of the power of God, including the power to raise the dead. And the Kedushah section, the Holiness, speaks of the holiness of our God. And so while the Shema is God speaking to us, the Amidah is our response back to him. Adonai tzfatai tiftach ufi yagid tehilatecha Lord, open our lips that our mouths may declare your praise. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu v'elohevoteinu Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. Ha'el ha'gadol ha'gibor v'hanora el elyon. Gomel chasadim tovim, v'konei ha'kol v'zocher, chaste avot, u'mevigo el ivnei v'nehem, lema'an shemo v'yahava. Blessed are you, O Lord, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, the God who is great, mighty, and to be feared, God most high who shows steadfast love and kindness and possesses all things, who remembers the loyal deeds of our ancestors and in love has brought Yeshua the Redeemer to their children's children for his name's sake. As Abraham offered up his only son on Mount Moriah and Isaac gave himself willingly as a pleasing sacrifice, so have you, God of our ancestors, sent your only beloved son, Yeshua, who embrace death on our behalf, that we might stand living before you. You are mighty forever, O Lord, giving life to the dead and abounding in salvation. You sustain the living with steadfast love and give life to the dead with great compassion. You uphold the falling, you heal the sick, you free those in bondage and sin and keep faith with those who sleep in the dust. Who is like you, master of the universe? And who can be compared with you, our father, our king, who brings death, restores life, and who has raised Yeshua from the dead? By your great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua, the Messiah from the dead. We who were dead in our trespasses are now alive in Messiah and are seated with him in the heavenly places. We sanctify your name in this world as it is sanctified in the heights of heaven. According to the words of your prophet, one angel called to another saying, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzvaot, Melochol Haaretz Kivodo. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Then with a great and thunderous sound, mighty and powerful, the Kiruvim make their voices heard. And rising toward the Seraphim, they respond with praise and say, Baruch Kevod Adonai Mim Komo. Blessed be the Lord of the glory of the Lord from his place. You have filled the earth with, his, with your glory. Glory is the only son from the father. He is the ladder that our father Jacob saw upon which the angels of God ascend and descend. Through him we are exalted from earth to heaven to join the seraphim and keruvim in their praise. May our eyes behold your kingdom according to the words spoken in your mighty songs through David, your righteous anointed one. There's a traditional prayer at this time, the Alchet, for the sin, responsive reading 
And I'll begin this prayer today. I hereby forgive all who have hurt me, all who have wronged me, whether deliberately or inadvertently. May no one be punished on my account. As I forgive those who have wronged me, may those whom I have harmed forgive me, whether I acted deliberately or inadvertently by word or deed. For the sin we have committed against you, in our thoughts, for the sin we have committed against you, with our words, for the sin we have committed against you, by profaning your name, for the sin we have committed against you, by speaking slander, for the sin we have committed against you, by dishonesty, for the sin of condemning in others the faults we tolerate in ourselves. For the sin of passing judgment without knowledge of the facts. For the sin of others as a means to gratify our desires. For the sin we have committed against you. For the sin we have committed against you. For the sin we have committed against you. By our hypocrisy. For the sin we have committed against you. By our For all the sins we have committed, both known and unknown. Forgive us and pardon us, O God of mercy, and grant us atonement. Teach us to forgive ourselves for all these sins, O forgiving God, and help us to overcome them. We ask this in the name of the one who gave his life so that we might be forgiven. Yeshua. Hallelujah. Open with me in your Bibles, on your phones, to Leviticus chapter 16. Let's speak for a moment about a biblical understanding of atonement. Again, the biblical name for this festival is Yom HaKippurim, the day of covering, the day of canceling, the day of pardoning, the day of reconciling. You see, Adonai, God, told the Israelites to sacrifice an animal as a substitute for their own sentence to die. And so this is what's called the life for a life principle. It's really the foundation of the sacrificial system. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 5 says, Ume'et adat b'nei Yisrael ikach shnei se'iri izim lechatat v'ayil echad le'otah. In the English, it says that he is to take from the congregation of the children of Israel two he goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. V'hikriv Aaron, verse 6, et par hachatat asher lo v'chiper ba'ado uve'ad beto. Then Aaron is to offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and his house. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before Adonai at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron will then cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Aaron is to present the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. So I want to dive into this this morning. Atonement means payment or reparations for an offense or an injury. It is the avenue of of reconciliation between God and man. Atonement, again, means to appease, to extinguish the guilt incurred, to pay the penalty for, to make amends. You see, God wanted our sins not only covered, but paid for. And to do this, there needed to be something done. There needed to be a shedding of blood. 
One chapter over in chapter 17, God says in verse 11 of chapter 17, For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. For it is the blood that makes atonement because of the life. You see, we couldn't just shed blood any place we wanted to, right? We, the Torah said that it has to be done on the altar, in the temple, at Jerusalem. But many of us have thought, well, wait, why, why blood? Well, put yourself back in the days here of the scriptures that God chose the shedding of blood, I believe, to show us the awfulness, the true awfulness of sin. You see, if you and I lived back in the days of the temple and we sinned, what would we have to do? We'd have to go to the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. We'd have to go to a priest to offer a sacrifice for ourselves, right? And we would see that every time that we sin, that some animal would have to die as our substitute. Boy, that sure would impress upon us, right, the awfulness of our sin. My friends, God wants us to understand that we have committed crimes against him. Our sins have to be punished. The moment that sin came into our world, Adam and Eve killed animals to make a covering for their bodies. They shed blood. Noah sacrificed when he sinned. Abraham did it. The lamb's blood put on the doorposts and lintels of the homes in Egypt on Passover. All of this blood recorded before the Torah was received at Mount Sinai. We see in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, which we've read, what exactly... what. Parts we didn't have a chance to read, but we will read. What exactly went down on this day of Yom Kippur in the tent of meeting, at the altar, in the holy place, and in the most holy place? So let's look at this for a moment. In the days of the temple, the high priest would then enter into this Kodesh Kodeshim, this holy of holy section in the temple of the sanctuary where the Aron Kodesh, the Ark of the Covenant, rested clothed in white linen. We recall that the lid of the ark, the top of the ark, was called the kaporet, or translated into our English Bibles as the mercy seat. It was a slab of pure gold. And arising from both ends of the ark were two angelic creatures, right, called keravim, who reached over and shadowed the mercy seat. The very presence of Adonai rested upon the kaporet, the mercy seat between the two keravim, as Adonai met the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. Isn't that incredible? And from which Adonai forgave the sins of the people of Israel. It was on this kaporet, on this mercy seat, that the blood of the atonement sacrifice of, of the bull and the goats was sprinkled, symbolizing that Adonai could be approached only through the sacrifice of a life for sins. Our tradition tells us that the Kohen Gadol was to be separated from the people from the previous seven days, and according to the Mishnah, had to be awake all night before the day of this sacrificial offering. We know biblically that he cleansed the sanctuary and he then made atonement for himself and his family through the sin offering sacrifice. This involved a lot of blood, a lot of blood being sprinkled, the blood of a bull and the burning of sweet-smelling incense. And then he would move on in the service to make atonement for the sins of the people. And for this, we just read, two identical goats were chosen and were designated by lots or stones. The first lot was engraved, La Adonai, to the Lord. This was the white stone. And the second lot was engraved, La Azazel, to the scapegoat, and this was a, a black stone according to this chapter, Leviticus 16. And so let's talk for a few moments about these interesting goats. First goat to the Lord, the sacrificial goat. Pick it up in verse 15 of Leviticus chapter 16. And then he is to slaughter the goat for the sin off, of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood behind the curtain. And do with it as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it upon the atonement cover, this kaporet, this mercy seat, and before the atonement cover. So he's to make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of, 
the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their impurities. No one is to be in the tent of meeting when he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. So the Kohen Gadol slaughters the goat here, chosen for the Lord, the Lord's goat, sprinkles its blood on the kippurah, on the mercy seat, on the ark cover, in the holy of holies, and also in front of the mercy seat. You see, the main emphasis for this goat, my friends, was that it brought about a cleansing for sin for the priesthood, for the, uh, for the sanctuary, and Israel as a nation. In other words, this aspect of the Yom Kippur sacrifice, this goat focused on the corporate forgiveness of sins. And so we can see in God's mercy that in the death of this goat, it gives life then to corporate Israel. This was then this principle of atonement, this life for a life, which is the heart of atonement. And so in the death of this goat, the life of the goat was given to the Israelites. God then sees Israel as cleansed from her sin and is having a new life. But then we find this second goat here, this goat to Azazel, this Scapegoat in verse 21. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of B'nai Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. He shall place them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat will carry all their iniquities by itself into a solitary land, and he is to leave the goat in the wilderness. And so this aspect of the Yom Kippur sacrifice didn't focus on the corporate forgiveness of sin, but on the personal forgiveness of sins. The high priest would lay his hands on the goat, symbolically transferring upon it, to it, the sins of the people of Israel. Then the goat, the Bible says here, is driven out, right? Driven into the wilderness, thus making clear God's intent to remember no more the sins of Israel, of his people, that he had against his people. A new beginning is now possible and demonstrates that the past no longer clung to the individual forever, Ruch Hashem. Now, notice here the reason for the existence of the Kohanut, of the priesthood. You see, the average Israeli on the street could not go into Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies, and do these sacrifices themselves according to this chapter. No, only the high priest could do this. God issued a warning here that no man could see his face and live. Only on Yom Kippur. Could the high priest be in the presence of the Lord? And even that, he had to shield his eyes. Now, when you discuss all of this with non-Messianic Jews, they'll repeatedly come back at you, Rabbi Joel, we don't need a sacrifice. And they'll point to you to Psalm 51, oftentimes, which says in that Psalm, the sacrifices of God are a, what, a broken and contrite heart, they'll say. We don't need a sacrifice. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. All we need is repentance, and they, it's like a mantra, an anthem that they speak to us. But I like to point out that at the end of that psalm, if repentance were enough, why does the psalmist David at the end of the Psalm 51 call for sacrifices? My friends, our forefathers had repentance. So why did they need sacrifices and we don't? Are we better than them? There's no good answer for these questions, but they refuse to accept the logic. The main issue is that is not that they don't want to sacrifice. They don't want Yeshua. Actually, there isn't much point, is there, in having a day of atonement unless we actually have an atonement. This is the great irony 
of modern day Judaism. Simply put, there is no day of atonement without atonement. Otherwise, what would we be doing? We'd just be honoring a day we once had, yet we don't have any more. The Judaism of the days of the temple, of course, had atonement, as we've been reading, via the sacrifice of the high priest in the temple. Sure, it was only temporary. Sure, it was only for that next year. But at least they had atonement. On Yom Kippur, modern-day Judaism has no atonement. Tefillah, Teshuvah, Tzedakah, these are great things. These are fine things. These are admirable things. We all do them, but it's not enough. You see, on Yom Kippur, what an opportunity for Messianic Jews to shine. We actually do have our atonement. We have what our Jewish people lack, what they cannot get from the Reformed Synagogue, nor from the Orthodox. We have the flux capacitor. Back to the future fans, you know what I'm talking about. Without which our Jewish people are stuck in time. They're stuck in space. They have no means to return home. We have the flux capacitor. We have it. And it's time, my friends, in 2021 for our Jewish people to get on board. Come back. Now, on Yom Kippur, I find it interesting that the Talmud records several ominous events that took place on this day. The westernmost light of the temple menorah wouldn't stay lit. The temple doors would open by themselves. Do-do-do-do. That is do-do-do-do because Josephus records the temple doors were made of brass and were shut with difficulty by 25 men. They're just flinging open. In addition, Masechet Yomah, Tractate Yomah, which discusses this entire Day of Atonement, tells us this. Listen to this, man. Ooh. It says, 40 days before the destruction of the temple, the lot for the Lord, which we talked about, right? The stone did not come up consistently in the right hand and the scarlet cord did not turn white. Yomah 39b, line 44 in the Talmud. It was considered a good omen if the lot marked Adonai to the Lord was drawn by the high priest in the right hand from the urn, designating the sacrificial goat. A little bit later on in Yomah 67a, a crimson, a red sash was tied around the horns of the goat marked for Azazel into the wilderness goat. The goat was then led to the steep cliff in the wilderness and shoved off the cliff. And a tradition arose that a portion of the crimson sash was attached to the door of the temple before the goat was sent off into the wilderness. The sash would then, again, turn from red to white as the goat met its untimely demise, signaling to the people of Israel that God had accepted their sacrifices and their sins were forgiven. Now, the rabbis connected here with the promise of the prophets. Again, back in Isaiah 1.18, as we open the service, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. The rabbis don't mention Yeshua, of course, in the Talmudic passage. But you count down, do some simple math with me, the period of time. Count back 40 years from the destruction of the temple, and you wind up at the death and resurrection of Yeshua of Nazareth. Hence the problem. <laughs> the people of Israel begin to realize more and more post resurrection of Yeshua, that his crucifixion, that the sin sacrifice on Yom Kippur did not have the power to cleanse their sinful hearts. And so they're more and more recognizing in 35 CE and 40 and 45 and 50 that they no longer experience the release of sin's heavy burdens. And if that wasn't enough, now we get to 70 CE, the temple is destroyed. How in the world then do our Jewish people then celebrate Yom Kippur without the proper place of sacrifice and without the proper kapara, sacrifice the bull and the goats? So you can see the problem today in modern Judaism. Well, many of us have a, have a great understanding of these things. But here's a deeper question for us, I think, as Messianic believers here today that needs to be answered because we're asked this all the time. And they're asked, we're asked, is the New, is the New Covenant Scriptures, are they in conflict with the Tanakh 
on this issue of dealing with sacrifice, okay? Because they're saying about sacrifice, it can just be a contrite heart. Well, no. Go with me to the New Covenant, to book of uh, Hebrews. Book of Hebrews chapter uh, 10. And we begin in verse 1. The Torah has a shadow of the good things to come, not the form itself of the realities. For this reason, it can never, by means of the same sacrifices they offer constantly year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers cleansed cleansed once and for all, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Again, as we've read, back in the days of the Torah, according to the author here, the sacrifices, what were they doing? They were only providing temporary coverings of sins. They only made Israel ceremonially acceptable to participate on an external level. But they could not truly, these sacrifices, truly cleanse the conscience from sins. Go with me one chapter back in chapter 9 and verse 13. Get some more explanation here. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh externals, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, only Yeshua could pay that price and thereby cleanse our consciences from sin. More explanation. Go back to verse 11 of that same chapter, chapter 9. But when Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol, high priest of the good things that have now come, passing through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, he entered into the holies, the holy of holies, once and for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal Redemption. Look down at verse 25. And he did not offer himself again and again as the Kohen Gadol enters into the Holy of Holies year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have needed to suffer again and again from the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has revealed once and for all at the close of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of of himself. And so on the execution stake, the Messiah Yeshua was displayed for all to see, for all time, as our atonement, the fulfillment of what Yom Kippur is all about. Yeshua paid the ransom price for us because we were deserving of death. He paid that price to the Heavenly Father. Now go with me to Shaul's writing to the Corinthian congregation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look with me at verse 21. He made the one who knew no sin to become a sin offering on our, on our behalf, so that in him we might become, we might become the righteousness of God. As you and I today reflect on the festival of the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur, our minds ought to go beyond the goats of Leviticus chapter 16, which merely, what, covered sin for a season. And we need to go beyond that and focus on the work and the person of Yeshua, our salvation, who actually removed, who actually washed away sin for eternity. This man was mandated by Adonai to deal with the matter of sin of all mankind once and for all. The sin that has been committed, the sin that is being committed, the sin that will ever be committed by every person that has lived, is living today, and will live on the earth. It's like mind-blowing. 
You see, Yeshua's sinless nature in this transaction is never in question. But when Adonai looks upon his son, there was a time, there was a small sliver of time between the sixth hour to the ninth hour at Golgotha that all he could see was the sin of mankind. The sinless one hung On the tree of sacrifice, literally taking our place, taking our punishment, taking our judgment, taking our rejection without personally experiencing the defilement of sin. That's wild. When Yeshua came to earth, he took on the robe of mankind. He took on a body of humanity. He took on our flesh. And in this act of covenant, what was he doing? He was throwing in our lot with us, my friends. He was freely offering to take our place in that day of judgment. On this day of atonement, we can find comfort in the reality that our judgment day was experienced at the tree of sacrifice in the person of Yeshua. The debt was paid. Judgment was measured out. Our sin can never be held to account. And so that awesome truth is revealed in the letter to the Hebrews in that Yeshua's sacrifice settled the matter of sin once and for all for those who trust in him. Even in the midst of our failures, and they are great, we can have the confidence that the account has been settled. That's why Paul wrote to the Roman believers, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in the Messiah Yeshua. There might be one or two listening to the sound of this service and maybe today's your day to make Yeshua the Lord of your life, to bend your knee to the Lord to receive this atoning once for all sacrifice. If that's you, just join me in a quick word of prayer. Lord God, I committed crimes in your sight. I've committed much sin that needed much blood. And the temple's not standing. And, and I don't believe that sacrifice ever needed to stop because it's in the Torah. I, I, I see that. And I want this blood sacrifice that you're talking about that Yeshua had made to count for me. And so I want in. I want to repent of sin. I want to renounce it. God, I am sorry for the crimes of, I've committed in your sight. And I want to receive not only covering I want to receive a deeper, I want to receive forgiveness of my sins. And so I reach for Yeshua now. I receive him into my life as my atoning Messiah on that tree that day in Jerusalem at Golgotha and Passover. That it would count for me. I want that, Lord. I receive him now. Thank you for for healing me. Thank you for saving me. And so the wonder of the good news, my friends, is that The accounts have been settled. Today, as a result of Yeshua's earthly ministry, you and I can come into Adonai's presence without fear of being struck dead. Because Adonai does not see our sinfulness. What does he see? He sees Yeshua's righteousness. Our confidence and our boldness, make it clear, does not rest in ourselves. It's all based on Yeshua. And so, my friends, historically, Yom Kippur was all about removing the veil that hides God from the Jewish people. It was the only day that the high priest could speak to God, panim el panim, face to face. And likewise, although there is that veil over the Jewish people, I'm here to declare to you, I believe there's a counter veil. There is a a, a similar veil over non-Jews as well. The prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 25, verse 7, it is, quote, spread over the nations, this veil. At some point, the veil is going to be removed from the nations. And the prophet Jeremiah says it like this, in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto God from the ends of the earth and shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, And things wherein there is no profit. That's happening in the lives of many Gentile non-Jews today. So there's a veil upon both Jewish people and non-Jews. 
You recall as I spoke on Shabbat Shuvah last Saturday that when Joseph's brothers went to Egypt to buy food from the brother whom they'd sold into slavery, the scripture records, quote, Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. The reason Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him because he looked and walked like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian and not a Jew. And likewise, since the early days of the non-Jewish body of believers in Yeshua, it has been presenting to our Jewish people worldwide a Jesus in Egyptian clothes. He is seen by our people as a fair-skinned, blonde European, far from his roots. The thing is, let me tell you a secret. His name wasn't even Jesus. Talk about identity theft. <laughs> His name is Yeshua. Actually, Genesis records that Joseph's brothers were just as surprised that Joseph was Jewish as the Egyptians were. We find similarly today that it is coming as just as big a surprise when the church realizes that Yeshua is still Jewish. April, if you come back, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for some more Jewish prayers. We wind up this service today. The Elenu prayer just denotes our people's struggle over being the chosen people. And the trials that arise with that responsibility. This prayer signifies the Jewish people's faith and dedication to God. And it speaks of God's eternal rule. During the verse in this prayer, V'anachnu korim, we bend the knee. Many people will bow at the waist toward the ark. And this is symbolic, of course, of bowing to God and being humbled in his presence. Alenu lishabach la adon hakol, la tet gedulal yotzer bereshit, shelo asanu kegoye haratzot, velo hosamanu kemishpechot haadama, shelo samchalkenu kahem, vegohor alenu kechol hamona. Ve'anachnu korim u'mishtachavim u'modim Lifne melech malche hamlachim hakadosh baruchu Venehemar Vehaya Adonai Lemelech Alkol Haaretz Bayom Hahu Bayom Hahu Ye Adonai Echad Ushemo Ushemo let us adore the Lord of all, to acclaim the greatness of the one who forms all creation. For God did not make us like the nations of other lands and did not make us the same as other families of the earth. God did not place us in the same situation as others and our destiny is not the same as anyone else's. And we bend our knees and we bow and worship and give thanks, King of Kings, the Holy One. Blessed is He. As it is written in your Torah, and you shall know today and take to heart that Adonai is the only God in the heavens above and on earth below. There is no other. And it is said Adonai will be ruler over the whole earth. And on that day God will be one. And God's name will be one. The Enkelohenu prayer is one of the most recognizable ones. It carries the same tune in almost every synagogue that you will attend. And in this prayer, God is referred to four different names, Elohim, Adon, Melech, and Moshiach. 
In Kilohane was another way for the Jewish people to praise and bless God's magnificence. And it has a recurring theme. There's none like our God. There's none like our master. There's none like our king. There's none like our deliverer. In Kilohane, in Kadoneheinu, in Kilmalkeinu, in Kamoshienu, me Kilohane, me Kadoneheinu, me Kilmalkeinu, me Kamoshienu, no de Kilohane, no de Kadoneheinu, no de Kilmalkeinu, no de Kamoshienu, Baruch Kilohane. Baruch Kadoneinu, Baruch Kelmalkeinu, Baruch Komoshienu, Atahu Kelohainu, Atahu Kadoneinu, Atahu Kelmalkeinu, Atahu Komoshienu. There is none like our God. There is none like our Lord. There is none like our king. There is none like our savior. Who is like our Lord? Who is like our God? Who is like our king? Who is like our savior? Let us thank our God. Let us thank our Lord. Let us thank our king. Let us thank our savior. Blessed is our God. Blessed is our Lord. Blessed is our king. Blessed is our Savior. It is you who is our God. It is you who is our Lord. It is you who is our King. It is you who is our Savior. May the Lord bless you and keep you today. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift up his countenance over you and the rest of this afternoon as you commune with him. And all who are with his son, Yeshua said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website treeoflifeca.org and be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you've found value in this show, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Tree of Life Messianic Jewish Congregation, to see more content, including our weekly live stream. Be sure to tune in for our next episode as we continue to explore our Jewish roots through Scripture.